The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good morning, and thank you for joining host Cheryl Esposito for an intriguing hour of Leading Conversations. Each week, Cheryl brings together big thinkers to the Voice America Business Channel. Now here's your host, Cheryl Esposito. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Leading Conversations. This is Cheryl Esposito. Today we have a very special guest, Dana Beal, author and speaker, business consultant who is committed to a healthy culture in the workplace. Dana has authored books, her um, really successful book that's been around for a while, The Tragedy in the Workplace, the longest-running show in the country. Very interesting title, and she's going to tell us about that. Uh, She has spoken around the world um, on this very important issue of healthy culture and fear in the workplace. She's actually writing a new book um, to be released in the summer titled The Extraordinary Workplace, Replacing Fear with Trust and Compassion. Dana, welcome to the show. Well, hello. Thank you for having me. So where are you today? I'm in Seattle. I live up in the Pacific Northwest. Uh So it's uh, sunny for a change. All right. Happy to be here today. So um, Seattle is, the area is your home base. I know you travel the world a lot. Um, And I'm curious to know, um, with this concept of healing in the workplace, um, we'll get into the detail of it, but just quickly, do you find that the issues are the same world around? Yes. Um, Wherever you have a group of people, I see, and it doesn't seem to matter what industry it is or whether it's a service or a product, when you have a group of people working together with various hierarchies, uh, there tend to be these kinds of issues of internal competition. And and, uh, so it it seems to cut through all the ranks and all industries and even other countries. Well, let's talk about what got you interested in this. Where did this come from for you? Yeah, yeah, it's an interesting story because I'd been a consultant working with a lot of different kinds of industries, but it was in just right at the year 2000. I just sat up in bed one day and realized that that the same thing is happening everywhere, and what I kept seeing is that people are suffering, and they're suffering in the workplace not because they don't want to work, but because of all the dynamics in the workplace and that they're exhausted, and and people don't work well at that kind of level. And so I begin to ask, what is going on? Hmm. I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. Well, tell us more about how how this manifests. Well, one of the things I kept saying again and again is that most people want to blame somebody else. They don't want to be responsible for themselves. And so I I saw a lot of finger pointing, and then I would see gossip and fear and insecurity, 
And I just thought, this is not a good work environment, and it's actually very sad that people feel so stressed out and insecure. In fact, it it appeared in most workplaces, to some degree or another, that there was basically a web of egos battling and competing for power, and that Mm -hmm. people were um, disempowering each other and sabotaging one another, and there wasn't trust. And I thought, how can they be on the same team with all this commotion and contention going on? Mm. And so as I ask my audiences if they know what I'm talking about, do you know how many people raise their hands? How many? Just 100%. Oh, my It doesn't God. matter if I'm talking to 50 people or 1,000 people. Everyone knows about the drama in the workplace. I call it drama. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and and it's like they're afraid to talk about it because they're fearful that they'll have some punishment or some repercussions. So everybody kind of ignores it. So it's like the elephant in the living room. Everyone knows it's there, but nobody wants to disturb it. Hmm. Do you think that this mirrors what goes on in families? Uh, absolutely. And I think that if we can't get along in our families. How in the world are we going to be able to get along with people we see every day at work? And if we can't get along with people we see every day in the workplace, how are we ever going to have compassion and world peace? Mm. So I really believe it's about all relationships and learning to heal those relationships. And as we do that, we really do impact all the environments everywhere. Mm. So... How did we get this way? Do you think that work environments have been this way, you know, from from the beginning? I mean, we're talking about hundreds of years. I mean, you know, is this just kind of the way people are? Well, you know, I've kind of researched that, and I think there's always been a natural for natural desire to compete and compare yourself and and try to strive, and there's really nothing wrong with that. But it's like it's gone over the top now. And with all the pressure and, and currently with the economic and financial uncertainty, the fear has escalated. And wherever there's more fear, then people get more defensive and more concerned, and they try even harder to prove their worth. <clears throat> so the basic nature of human beings has always been that we want to be loved and appreciated. But in this hairy, fast-paced world we're living in, People are feeling less and less secure. That's my thought about it. Well, what are the the indicators of a healthy workplace? Have you ever seen one? Yes, actually. Okay. Good. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, I hate to start out with so much bad news because not all businesses are suffering to this extent, but most of them have some of it. But the key is starting with leadership, and when you have leaders who make decisions, but the decisions benefit everybody. That's one really good start. Mm -hmm. And if the leaders are transparent and authentic so that people that are being led, people throughout the organization, feel trust in their leadership, that makes a huge difference. But if you have leaders that are more interested in validating themselves, creating an image of power for themselves, if they are the critical fear-based leaders, that goes right down to the organization, too. You know, when the middle manager is getting pressure from someone above, what do they do? Put pressure on the people that they lead. And ultimately, it ends up the pressure, the fear, the negativity will extend to the customer. 
So I've, um, you, you know, you talk about leadership in some of your writing as enlightened leadership. And, you know, we hear that term a lot these days, um, you know, leadership that has a new view, um, leadership that cares about people. And, you know, it's as if there was leadership that never did. And, you know, it seems like that there has been a shift um, in the evolution of the role that leaders play as the economic structures have changed. Do you think there needs to be any change in the way our economics works in order for this to change, in order for the work cultures to change? Well, it probably has to happen. Probably both things have to happen. Right now, we're actually seeing the falling of leaders and the falling of heads of companies Mm -hmm. who have basically what I call propped themselves up with a lot of false um, validation, a lot of things, a lot of, um, you know, high-end salaries for those at the top based on um, putting more pressure on people to work harder. And it's gotten out of balance. And I think that um, when you, you mentioned that enlightened leadership is such a topic these days, I don't know that people always understand what a good leader really does. And the number one important trait or quality in an enlightened leader is their willingness to look at their own fears and their own inadequacies and their own weaknesses. And until every leader can do that, they will always fail. They'll fail when there is conflict or or any kind of great challenge because they won't have the inner core to withstand. So, um, Many leaders believe that their whole goal is just to lead the company and prove that they're very powerful. The truly great leaders, if you look through the span of time, had humility and integrity. And those kind of qualities come from deep self-reflection and looking at their own weaknesses. Hmm. Does that make sense? It makes a lot of sense, and I'm wondering how much you see this being supported um, in organizations? Well, I've seen companies that really understand that and they have a great culture mm-hmm. and they do things that are more than just the employee of the month or the annual picnic or the awards, which mm-hmm. are often seen as artificial hypocrisy mm-hmm. to many people. Mm-hmm. But um, the truly great companies treat their management in a way of respect and honor. And what I say is the leadership that is true authentic leadership is when the leader honors the spirit in themselves and the spirit in others. Hmm. And they don't see themselves or set themselves as above other people. Hmm. And that's the key because it really is the insecure at what I call ego-driven leaders that need all that attention and um, control at the top. Well, is it always the leader at the top, or can some of this be coming from um, other levels of the organization? Oh, yes. I, I, I'm sure you've all seen a, a situation where one person, you know, within a team can be negative and, and finally that person mm-hmm. leaves or is asked to leave, and it, it's like 
that one person was bringing a cancer into the workplace. So I, when I work with my audiences and my um, different organizations, I always talk about every one of us is part of the culture. It isn't they are the culture, and everybody brings their own energy field to create a larger energy field. And so uh, the good news about that is we do all have an impact, and the other good news is that anyone at any time can reach in for their authentic power and not be a part of the drama and instead operate from their own serenity and integrity. And uh, what I say is you don't have to be a puppet in the drama. You can have freedom in the drama if you can have that inner courage. And so I imagine that the way one interacts with the drama or when they see the drama occurring, you know, how one responds to the situation has a whole lot to do with how this, how, how, what the outcome will be. Yeah. So how do you, um, you know, what do you say to people who have constant drama going on? How, what, what do they need to do? Well, that's such a great question because that's the very thing. I actually do an exercise that I can br- briefly describe even right now. Whenever you or anyone listening is in a conflict or in a situation in the workplace where they feel that, uh-oh, here it comes, that fight-or-flight feeling that you know something's going to happen, you feel fearful or you feel angry, if you can stop before you react and really ask yourself, what's going on here? What am I really feeling? You'll always discover that it's some kind of fear of being exposed, fear that maybe you're not competent enough or somebody's going to be critical or fear what it says about you. And if you can stop and realize that isn't really true, and and then I have asked people to picture being in the same situation, and as they get that fight-or-flight feeling, that moment when they know a conflict is coming, that they instead take a very deep breath and then say to themselves, this person, this other person is in their drama. I don't have to play a role in their drama. I can be true to myself. And if I do play a role by reacting or counter-reacting to them, I just validated it for them and myself. Because the truth is, we can stand in truth with another person but not blame them. The minute we blame, we're getting back caught into the drama also. And when people can stop and do that, they discover they actually can speak from truth they calm down and don't get hooked into the drama. Hmm. So give us an example. Well, it could be an example of um, your boss comes into your office and immediately starts to say something went wrong and, and you can feel that they're going to blame you. Not an uncommon situation. The first reaction of the ego that wants to protect itself, because remember, the ego is actually always trying to defend and protect and keep mm-hmm. you safe. Mm-hmm. So if you can take a moment and not um, immediately react from your ego and just have the ability to listen, you may discover that you were even actually over about to overreact. Mm-hmm. And as you listen... Try to recognize that they where they're coming from as another part in the play here in the drama, and then 
calmly take a deep breath and be able to truthfully explain yourself without just being reacting. It's the reaction and the counter-reaction and the reaction and the counter-reaction that's always keeping the the drama going. It's like a well, play. Sounds... Go ahead. I was just going to say, it's like a play. Everyone's playing out their part. Mm, yeah. Well, it, it sounds simple when you say it. Mm-hmm. And yet, when I think about how much of this is reported to be going on in the various workplaces, I think, why then doesn't this happen? I mean, you know, why why does this continue to be perpetuated? Well, I also think that's a good question, and this is what I see. Right now, the current consciousness, the collective consciousness in most workplaces is based on reactions and counter-reactions. People, people are feeling defensive and fearful about their jobs. Their workplace is where they get not only their economic security, but also their identity. Mm-hmm. They, people take a lot of their self-identity from their role in the workplace. So if you imagine that all these people are really relying on this environment, even if it's scary, what we see, what I see, are a lot of people that they're fearful, but they don't say anything, and they just continue to participate in it. So when you said it sounds simple, but it isn't, you're absolutely right. It takes courage to step out of the current collective consciousness, and when you do, you will be greatly supported by your inner, your own inner spiritual greatness. When you do, you help others do the same. We have more to talk about with Dana Beal when we come right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. Are you ready to grow your business? Listen for the Independent Business Owners Show with your coach, Rick Carrado. This entertaining talk radio program will bring you the tools to help increase your business. You'll learn sales success, time management, lead generation, business development, life balance, and much more. Rick Carrado is here to help you take your business to the next level. Listen for the Independent Business Owners Show, heard live every Monday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Network. Tune in every Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific time for The Growth Strategist with Aldana Ambler. On the show, Aldana and some of today's top business professionals will discuss some of today's most pressing business issues that hold you, the business owner, back. Aldana will also give you 21 ways to grow with her list of growth strategies. Grow smart, grow profit, and grow your business with Aldana Ambler and The Growth Strategist every Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific time, right here on the bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. 
We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl. And we're back with Dana Beal today, author and speaker. Uh, she's authored The Tragedy in the Workplace, the longest-running show in the country. Now, Dana, I know you wrote this, um, I forget when it was first published, but I know that you have created a new edition, um, kind of brought it into the 21st century, so to speak. Um, can you talk a little bit about uh, some of the leadership roles, the ego-driven roles that you mention in that book and in some of your other writing? Um how you see these, you even have really good names for them. People will recognize this style really quickly when you name them. Mm-hmm. So can we talk about those? Oh, I'd love to because I believe in order to understand what leadership is, it's helpful to see what is not leadership mm. but appears to be leadership. Mm. And you, you use the right term, the ego-driven leader. And the ego-driven <clears throat> leader is actually operating from artificial power rather than authentic power of a good leader. Hmm. And so here are some of the roles that the ego takes when it's in a leadership role. Sometimes they are the micromanager. Hmm. Everyone recognizes that. Sometimes they're a dictator. And um, a dictator doesn't doesn't allow room for any contribution. And so they're missing the opportunity to hear all the great ideas and the synergism of having a team. Mm-hmm. There's another one that's kind of tricky. It's the martyr. And the martyr works harder than anyone, and then those that are reporting to that person feel they have to work harder, and it really breeds a lot of workaholism. Mm-hmm. The, uh, there's a discounter. Some of these can overlap, by the way. And mm-hmm. there's the start of the team, the one that has to always... Um, get all the attention and the credit. And that's another trait of a truly great leader is that they don't need personal recognition. They honor the people and give recognition and, um, you know, all the attention to those that actually did Mm -hmm. the work. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I could give you a little example of some of the things I've seen. um, For example, I've seen this more than once. Um, The dictator leader that tells everybody else what to do <clears throat> and along with that, they're usually critical. Mm. Well, I can recall uh, this happening again and again in one professional firm where a young, really <clears throat> enthusiastic, um, vital person in the organization would be doing a great job, and then this particular manager would then, rather than just um, thank him for the good parts, would give advice and criticism about what needed to be improved. And what I tell my um, anyone I'm working with is the greatest thing you can do is build on people's strengths, not their weaknesses. Because sure. when you focus, yeah, when you focus on weakness, you get more of that. So I watched this one particular young man that was doing such a great job get more and more discouraged because although his boss thought he was helping him by giving him all this advice, he was never acknowledging all the things that he did right, and they eventually lost that person. Mm -hmm. 
So I've seen that happen. I've seen that happen in sales departments where they keep raising the goals and making Mm -hmm. them so unattainable that they discourage people. Sure. Yeah, and so they take people that are doing a good job and they sort of tighten the screws, so to speak, and they take Mm -hmm. away their freedom and then they get negative results. You know, they, um, as you mentioned, the dictator, there's there's a role that it has a slight twist on that that I've seen over the years, and it's what I call the benevolent dictator. Yes. It's, you know, some that, that leader that just, you know, really wants things their way and seems so nice, you know, yes. does it out of love. Yes. And yet <laughs> there's no room for anybody else to have ideas or, you know, it's really fascinating. I could say that leader gets an Academy Award in their <laughs> playing that role, and I know exactly what you mean because they give such a nice impression. But they're still calculating, and, mm. and those that work with that person can feel the lack of authenticity mm-hmm, mm. and their, their need for personal gain. Right, right, right. So tell us a bit more about um, some of these other types. Okay, the um, micromanager may appear to be very organized, but their ruling force or their theme is control. And when you are highly controlling someone else, then, again, they begin to shut down. And the the really sad thing is the organization is losing all the wonderful, bright ideas that come from mm-hmm. mutual engagement. And, and the, I call it the group will. Everybody that is in an organization has a will and has something to contribute. And every role is important, just like a symphony. Every instrument is important. So when you have a micromanager that's doling out little bits of responsibility and double-checking everything and holding everybody so accountable that they have no freedom, they're limiting the energy of the organization and they are depleting Mm -hmm. the energy of the organization. Mm -hmm. I'm reading a book right now called Drive by um, Tom Pink, and he talks about they, now we know for to truly motivate people, people need autonomy, they need mastery, so they need that freedom to do their work. And, and then people actually do better than when they have a lot of constraints and a lot of mm-hmm. compliance placed on them. Mm-hmm. But somehow the micromanager and many of the other managers that have need high control believe that that's going to lead the direction or the company in the right direction to reach mm-hmm. the strategic goals, but they're actually limiting the energy. I say it's it's almost like shooting yourself in the foot or shooting the gas tank hmm. and then saying, why aren't we getting better mileage? <laughs> <laughs> All the energy is leaking out. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. Oh, that's an interesting visual to have for that. Yes. So you talk about um, some of the the star of the team leader. Mm-hmm. Tell us about that. Well, you probably everyone out there has worked with somebody like that, and this person has all the answers, and um, they they say things like, "Oh, I have an even better idea," and they take credit. They don't necessarily give anyone else credit. 
and they, they're sort of like if you picture a basketball game and they just send in a new person that runs in there and takes the ball and helps win the game. Well, that's how the star of the team thinks that um, they make the most significant mm-hmm. um, offering to the company. But a truly great team that works together uh, allows everybody to participate, mm-hmm. and you can feel the quality of a team. There's an energy and an excitement, and everybody feels a desire to contribute. And the truth is not everyone wants to be a leader, but everyone does want to have their contributions heard. So if you're being the star, you are limiting, again, the opportunities for other people to give vital information that might truly help your company, Um, particularly people at the front lines that are, are never asked. And they have great information because they talk to the customers. Right, right. So, you know, I wonder about how this shows up in, let's say, in meetings in organizations that have um, ego-driven leaders. Um, How effective are meetings, and how do they handle differences of opinion? You know, that is um, just such a common problem for so many people. They go to these meetings, and rather than be an opportunity for people to actually work together, they end up being um, each person feeling a need to uh, participate and show that they're a team work player, and a lot of times the meetings are not even necessary. Mm-hmm. But I have watched meetings, and I'm sure your listeners can relate to this, where people each try to contribute something, and 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 then the next person says, "Well, yes, I dovetail with that, and I might add this," and each person is no longer thinking about the actual. Um, completion of the work, they're worried about their role and they're getting attention for for participating in the meeting. And they're oftentimes a silly waste of time. So one of the exercises in my new book is to go to a meeting and each person on their own to ask themselves, when I speak up, am I doing this for attention? Am I doing it because I think I'm supposed to speak up? Am I doing it to be argumentative? Or am I truly speaking because I have something to contribute. Hmm. And I think if you watch most meetings, you'll see a lot of a lot of things said that really have nothing to do with the meeting. Well, and so then you have the opposite problem, which is if people don't have the need for attention, don't um, feel like, you know, they're supposed to speak up or, or necessarily feel the need to be argumentative, um, then, you know, they may sit there quietly even though this meeting may be irrelevant and didn't need to happen in the first place, um, whether they agree or disagree with what's being said, they feel like, you know, what's the point? Mm -hmm. And so you lose productivity that way. Yes, you do. And so if, if as, you know, part of their whole structure of their meetings, people understand that we are here truly to solve a problem or to, to... you know, achieve certain steps today that we need to get done. And mm-hmm. um, But if you create the environment of trust and um, you don't have all these characters each trying to get attention, mm-hmm. even oftentimes the quiet ones will then feel like it, it, there is some purpose to speak. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So everyone feels they can truly be involved and what they have to say is valuable. 
So how do you, um, what's your first step when you work with an organization? What's your first step to getting a sense of what the real culture of the organization is? Well, I do workshops with companies, and I help them all see um, how they create their culture. Mm -hmm. And I have workbooks, and just I'll give you an example. I use the metaphor that the workplace, your business, whomever I'm working with, whatever group, Mm -hmm. is like a stage, and each person is a player on the stage. And then I ask him, and so who do you suppose would be the star of your drama? And so they always laugh because they realize we each, um, each one of us is the star of our own drama. Mm-hmm. And the part that I tell them that gets kind of confusing is all those other people that you see each day on the workplace stage, they don't know you're the star, mm-hmm. which always makes them laugh. And mm-hmm. and then we begin working on uh, understanding the ego-driven leader roles and the the breakthrough moment, or the really big insight, is after we look at the ego-driven roles, we people begin to discover that they do it themselves. There are parts of all of those ego-driven roles that we've all done. Mm-hmm. So that's the real growth, because then as you see yourself, it makes it a lot harder to continue with that behavior. And we do exercises on understanding who it is we blame when we're in the workplace. And it's always a person that's a threat to us. And um, so I help people start to unravel the drama. Because what it is, is it's like a web of intertwined connections, Mm -hmm. intertwined egos. But as each one becomes more authentic and begins to take the hook out, it the drama begins to break down because mm-hmm. people can be more authentic. Mm-hmm. Do you like think a, this can happen in organizations if the senior leaders or the CEOs don't engage this way? I think it's um, essential that the leaders do engage this way. In most of my workshops, the CEO, everyone at the top um, are involved. Mm-hmm. The If they're not, you may have a team that becomes, and I have done this and worked with a a team, and they become more powerful, but actually they'll probably not be satisfied working in a place Mm -hmm. like that for very long. Mm -hmm. As people gain their own power, they decide that they don't want to engage in the drama, and that's how they lose good people. Right. It makes sense. Well, you know, as I think about our society and our media and the, quote, drama of the day, whatever mm-hmm. it may be, it seems like we always look for the, the headline that is the drama of the day. Right. Um, how do we make big shifts in our overall society? It seems like the workplaces are now mirrors of, of you know, the, the culture of our country. Right. I take it. Um, this these kind of steps. If the ego is operating in the workplace and the relationships are contentious, that is a collective consciousness there where everybody's participating that way. If our families are, 
our workplace impacts our home life. Our home life impacts the workplace. But all these people, we also make up larger groups. We are the population of our city. We are the population of our country. So we can't separate individuals. We're all part of a greater whole. Mm. And so as we begin to change and start giving up the fear that we have and start connecting with our more authentic selves, we impact the people we are around. Mm. But I really believe that our whole world, um, you can extend these conflicts that happen between one ego and another ego. You can have conflicts between one company and another company, but ultimately you can have group egos as the foundation of war between Mm. nations. It's all the same thing. Very it's, interesting. The yeah. idea of group ego is very interesting. Mm-hmm. And I want us to talk more about that when we come back right after this break. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. Leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexasaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. Entrepreneurial Insights is your weekly excursion into the world of business ownership. Presented by Sunbelt Business Brokers, the leading business brokerage and intermediary firm in the world, Entrepreneurial Insights will examine critical issues that impact both existing and prospective business owners. If you own or want to own a small business, listen for Entrepreneurial Insights with John Davies, Pino Boccinello, and Matt Ottaway. Fridays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl. Welcome back to Leading Conversations. This is Cheryl Esposito, and our guest today is Dana Beal, author of The Tragedy in the Workplace, the longest-running show in the country. So we left our last segment, Dana, talking about group egos, that groups can actually have one ego or one consciousness that drives behavior. And I find that really fascinating. Um, it, it makes me think about... Um, how you know the the power of the maddening crowd kind of a thing, you know, right. and um, and as I think about that in relation to our society, um, and I think about the the world we live in is filled with fear. It seems like. All the headlines are about fear. We walk mm-hmm. through the airport. The conversation is about fear and terrorism. And right. um, there's just this constant 
focus on fear. So how is that playing out in the workplace? Well, fear is actually actually the underlying emotion and um, quality that results in all the other negative behaviors. Even when you see two people angry at each other, underlying that is fear. And fear is just almost a human quality that uh, has been operating for centuries, but as it escalates with so many um, different levels of uncertainty in the world, people become even more fearful and anxious. And what we do to try to be safe is to create roles and masks to make us safe and to create an image of ourself, whether it's as an individual. It could be a whole nation saying that we are the greatest nation or a whole religion saying we are the only right religion. Any group can then create an image that they believe keeps them safe. But as soon as you attack and and, uh, think that some other group is wrong, you back them, them in a corner. You, and they have to retaliate. So there's really no power, I believe, in being reactive because you are just responding or being a puppet to someone else or to another company or even to a whole nation. Hmm. So I believe as we heal our individual pain, Mother Teresa said the greatest illness is not um, tuberculosis or heart disease. It's the feeling of not being wanted or needed. And that lack of self-worth is lurking beneath the surface for most of us to some degree. But the more fearful we are, the bigger walls we build up, the more we blame others. So with this heightened fear, particularly the last decade with wars and terrorists, um, it just makes it everybody more insecure, covering their backs, um, and... Ultimately, it is the foundation of escalating war, hmm. blaming and counter-blaming. Right, right. You know, the, the what that points to, as you're saying this, it makes me think about how people are so concerned about being vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so whether it's revealing something about themselves that will give somebody quote, ammunition to use at a later time, or um, being vulnerable to um, criticism or being vulnerable to being viewed as maybe you don't know the answer. And so this whole concept of vulnerability equaling weakness, I mean, I think we've, we've gone all the way to that in our society, whereas if you are vulnerable, that equates weakness, which of course is not truth, but that's how we have decided to interpret it. And so how do we, if people arrive in the workplace without a strong sense of self-worth, if they haven't grown up with a strong sense of self-esteem and self-worth, how does that shift once they get into the workplace? What can leaders do? What can individuals do? to help others to build that sense of self-worth and self-esteem. I have a um, free MP3 article on my website that is really addresses that exact subject. It's, it's about understanding rivalry. Mm. And the rivalry is just what you were talking about, that need to protect, that um, 
fear of being vulnerable. And so I have some questions for people. What Number one, why do they believe other people? That's the source of the problem. If someone is criticizing you, the only reason you would react is on some level. You believe it. It's true. Mm-hmm. And the person who's, who's doing the attacking, whether it's a coworker or a boss or even somebody that reports to you, they don't even think about the pain that they're causing. The person in the attack mode is not thinking about the pain. Mm-hmm. But it is literally a, a um, it's almost like being shot, but shot emotionally. Mm-hmm. There is a wound. And so as each one of us can look at our own wounds, we can discover what are the things that hook us, what are our fears, because most of them we made them up. And if we can start to find out what's really true about ourselves and which parts are just a fictitious story we made up along the way, we can learn to not be so defensive because a defense becomes an offense, becomes a defense. And so I ask my audiences, when is the perpetrator, when are you the perpetrator, when are you the perpetrated upon? When are you the victim? Well, the other side of the victim is the blamer, and the other side of the blamer is the victim. They're actually mutual dynamics. Interesting. So it's, it's kind of amazing, but the healing has to take place in each individual. You can't really heal another person. <laughs> Oh, that's true. That's absolutely true. I'm going to go back to something you said about um, most of the fears we have we made up. Yes. Say more about that. We were born. We were born spiritual beings with multi, multi talents, and as um, a child, and as we grow older, we start gathering information about us. We get feedback, and especially when we're children and we don't have a lot of filters, we believe it to be true. And we keep creating this role of ourselves that by the time we're an adult, we believe that's who we are. Mm. But most of it is just based on other people's opinions. Mm. So I actually say judgment is the biggest problem in the workplace. We judge ourselves too harshly, and we therefore judge others too harshly. Mm. And... and um, the good news is the fear actually is already in us. In fact, I say this smart little boy I know said, ghosts can't scare you if you're not afraid. And my point is the fear is in us, so if we created the fear, we are the ones that can do something about it. So if we face our own fears, what we think are our own weaknesses, we don't have to cover them up. So being authentic with yourself and saying, yes, I have some good qualities, yeah, I have some things that I do that probably don't always work, the more we can just be who we really are and accept ourselves the way we really are, the less we have to defend and the less fearful we are about being vulnerable because we aren't trying to keep these big secrets. But many of these very, very um, high-level, ego-driven leaders are very fearful. It just appears that they're powerful because they, again, have great acting abilities. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and I would say the, the role of CEO and senior leaders these days is tenuous at best. Yes. Um, you know, the, the question, what have you done for me lately, is, yes. is ever-present um, yes. in those roles from their board of directors, from their stockholders, mm-hmm. um, and, and from their employees. 
Yes. And so the um, the days of a CEO being CEO for 15 and 20 years are long past. Right. And so, you know, it's been interesting to watch how that has shaped the behavior of leaders when they think that, you know, they've got a short tenure. Right. Um, and so the focus is get the stock price up, make as much money for the organization as you can, and um, because ethically or not, well, yeah, that that too, <laughs> um, and because they're they're serving the the master of the the economic master, right? And so you know, I think about that, and I think about um, the fear that they must carry around. Right. Um, how do you, how do you combat that? The fear that they carry is even greater, and that's why we see them um, working harder to stay propped up in those high positions and to get the feedback and get the prices up and get the, um, like you said, the shareholders happy with the prices. But mm-hmm. what it's leading to is just the house of cards everywhere. Mm-hmm. So we're seeing these fractures now because they were based what they were based on are they're not reality. Mm-hmm. And so I think unfortunately how some of these situations are being addressed is that they are fracturing. They are falling apart. Mm-hmm. And sometimes before you can build anew things do have to come down. Right. What do you see um you know 10, 15 years from now, will our workplaces look the way they do? Will the corporations be structured the way they are today? I think they'll be flatter. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm, an, I'm an optimist. Mm-hmm. I believe that reparation is probably going to take a little longer than people would like to think. I think it's going to take time. But I really wrote my book in what I call a state of inspiration. And mm-hmm. I believe that as more and more people start to understand that we really are one planet, we're one family on one planet of one source, and that working together cooperatively, we can have far more than this rivalry that's gotten to such a heightened level right now between nations, between companies, between people, between neighborhoods, between races. It's just gotten so high. But I think it's also causing more and more people to say, I want more in my life. I want to be authentic. I don't want to live like this. Mm. I think when we reach a critical level, proportion of people that see that way, I think our consciousness will change. I think Mm. I truly believe we are moving out of a consciousness of darkness and ego into a more enlightened environment that contains respect and trust Mm. for other people. Mm. But we're in the worst part right now. In some ways, we have to, as you said, it has to uh, implode in some way in order yes. to rebirth. You know, exactly. In you're talking about rebirth here. Yes, um, I am. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and thus the title of your newest book coming out, The Extraordinary Workplace, Replacing Fear with Trust and Compassion. Um, you know, that means we have to learn new language. Yes. Um, what is the language? Give us an example of the language of fear and the language of trust and compassion. Well, the language of fear would be very self-centered, um, blaming, victim, um, 
paranoia, and a lot of even, you know, some of the language that we use in businesses is um, very war-oriented. You know, we talk about um, going in for the kill and mm-hmm. and guerrilla warfare and guerrilla marketing, and we're, we've been such a competitive world. And I think the, the culture is evolving to a new, more cooperative model. And leaders will no longer feel that they have to lead the charge, but they will be more like Abraham Lincoln talked about, a reflection of the group. And I think when this respect and trust increases, the fear will go down. Mm-hmm. And as leaders do this, they make it okay and safe for others to do this. And that's how I think a shift will occur, little by little, one by one, throughout companies everywhere, they will start discovering that they actually, here's the bottom line, that profitability goes up when people work fully from their full potential, mm-hmm. when they are respected and trusted. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and I think some wise leaders are starting to see that now, mm-hmm. and I think com- companies that do this kind of, create this kind of culture will be emulated by other companies, and this top-down, fear-based management I believe, will become obsolete. Mm -hmm. Well, it's obvious that um, we have a current president who believes in this Mm -hmm. and um, is attempting to practice this. And, you know, culture is pretty powerful. The culture of politics is pushing back pretty hard on his approach and... um, you know, whatever your politics, the approach he takes to getting things done um, is different than we've seen in the past in, in politics. Yeah. And so um, maybe we can learn a thing or two and try it out ourselves. Huh? Right. It's certainly a sign that 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 people want to change, whether mm-hmm. he is able to accomplish everything or make a dent in the right direction or um, what remains to be seen. Well, Dana Beal, it's been great having you here today, and um, we wish you all the best with your soon-to-be-released book, The Extraordinary Workplace, Replacing Fear with Trust and Compassion. And um, if people want to know more about you and how to reach you, how do they do that? Well, I have a website. It's mm-hmm. Beal, and Dana has two ends, and um, my I have I can be reached at 425-467-8214 and I do keynote speaking. I have a lot of articles and good free information on my website if any of your listeners would like to know more about how they can have more authentic power in their workplace. That's wonderful. Thank you so much Dana for being with us this morning. And remember everyone to think big because the world could be a better place because of a conversation that matters. This is Cheryl Esposito. Thank you for spending this hour with Cheryl Esposito and leading conversations. You can listen live every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you have a question or comment for Cheryl, please email her at leadingconversations at alexaconsulting.com. That's L-E-A-D-I-N-G-C-O-N-V-E-R-S-A-T-I-O-N-S at A-L-E-X-S-A-C-O-N-S-U-L-T-I-N-G dot com. See you next week.